0: Have you ever thought about your rights and freedoms regarding your money and its impact by legislation from all levels of government? Welcome to the Information Edge with your host, Darren Yancey. Darren has over 40 years of experience in key sectors of the economy, and he's been knee-deep in politics for over a decade. He's going to get into detail on these sectors, the politics surrounding them, what they mean to you, and how you can protect yourself and be involved. Now, live from Texas, your host, Darren Yancey.
1: All right, folks, welcome to the Information Edge Podcast with Darren Yancey. Our special guest today is Congressman Bruce Westerman, representing the 4th District of Arkansas, also on the House Transportation Infrastructure Committee. And uh, Bruce, you've been pretty busy on uh, Capitol Hill. There's lots of buzz going around on. This "quote unquote" and I use air quotes infrastructure bill because anybody that reads it knows that it's not really an infrastructure bill.
2: Uh, yeah, Daryl, it's it's gotten interesting today, and actually, I may have to jump off in the middle of our uh, interview okay. because the the Rules Committee is finally meeting. As the ranking member on the Natural Resources Committee, I've got to go testify in front of the Rules Committee. Uh, they released the text on a seventeen hundred page bill. Uh, one hour ago. 1,700 uh, page. 1,700 page, and we're already debating it in the rules committee. So, uh, you know, I've got a pretty good staff, but uh, it's impossible to to read it in that amount of time. But uh, this is, uh, I I, I think they're trying to show some kind of momentum for uh, their bad ideas. Uh, They're trying to get something done today. I'm not quite sure what it is, but apparently President Biden's on a plane heading overseas and the speakers promised to have something for him by the time he lands. But uh, my goodness, this is a bad piece of legislation uh, that's being debated. This is the, uh, I'll call it the Bernie Sanders bill, the big spending bill. Uh, We've, and you know, you also got the bill they call the BIF, um, the so-called bipartisan Senate infrastructure bill, uh, which on its own, it would be the largest, Infrastructure bill in the history of the world, uh, and it hasn't even gone through a committee hearing in the
1: house. Uh, I mean, but, I would like it if it was actually real infrastructure, I could probably get on board with some of it, but it's not real infrastructure. Yeah, it's 1.2
2: billion and about 600 billion of it. It's what I would call infrastructure and what you would probably call infrastructure, and I still don't know. Um, you know, there's a lot of infrastructure needs in the state of Arkansas. I've I had a Somebody texting me earlier asking if there was money for Interstate 49 in the in the BIF, and I have no idea. Uh, it, to me, it's just uh, approving a lot of uh, so-called infrastructure funding, and then relying on uh, Pete Buttigieg and and his crew. I guess he's back from maternity leave, isn't
1: he? I you know I don't know. Uh, I did it. I kind of burned him a little bit two weeks ago when I had a gentleman on from the Small Business and Transportation Coalition on. And, you know, of course, we're in the middle of a massive uh, supply chain issue. And there are things that the department could do. Uh, there are things that the president could do um, that aren't being done. Now, you know, of course, we also have to go back and look at how we got here. And there's a lot of reasons why we got here, but they've got to fix the problems right now. But thus far, I if you were great, if you were asking me to grade Secretary Buttigieg right now, he's going to get an F. Yeah,
2: you're kind.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> F minus.
2: You kind of have to go to class to get a grade if I was the teacher. And, you know, he's, he's got to show up uh, for work. Yeah. He's been missing in action for so long. It, at a time, as you mentioned, when we're seeing these massive backups at the ports in Los Angeles and Long Beach, it's affecting every nook and cranny of the country. I did a uh, an agriculture tour in my district in Arkansas within the past couple of weeks, and I was I knew I was going to hear some of the stuff I was hearing, but I was mm-hmm. actually shocked to hear some of the things I heard. And you share know, trucking,
1: you. yeah, share those you know, with us.
2: Trucking was right in the middle of it. I, I talked to uh, the uh, the owners at Lou Thompson Trucking, a great company up in the northern part of my district in Huntsville, Arkansas. They'd ordered 52 Peterbilt or 50 Peterbilt trucks in January. Going to get two of them. Mm -hmm.
1: Let let me guess, Uh, are they waiting on chips? Chips
2: and other things. It's uh, you got labor shortages. You got the chips and components. Um, You know, that was that was a telltale story to me. When you've got a trucking company um, that so many people depend on what that company does, and they can't get new trucks. Uh, I was down in the southern part of my district where a lot of produce is grown. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were bringing in the crops. They had some late watermelon crops, had some pumpkin crops, even uh, growing some cucumbers down there in South Arkansas. This was the first I'd heard this, but I've heard it many times since then. They couldn't get the corrugated boxes to put the produce in, to ship it to market. And when they got it, it was three and four times the cost of what they had been paying for them. Yeah. And then they had the issue of not being able to uh, uh, you know, have enough trucks to get the produce to the market. Yeah. Uh, so these, these farmers are facing some uh, horrendous uphill battles. We're all dependent on them. And we're all seeing the effects of that in the grocery stores. We're seeing inflation uh, increase on, uh, on food. We're seeing it on fuel. And it's the American taxpayer that's, uh, that's paying the brunt of this. I've, I just had an op-ed on Fox Business this week uh, talking about uh, the supply chain issues and inflation. And I, I let it off with uh, Biden's chief of staff, Clayne uh, or Kane, whatever his name is, made a statement the other day that inflation is a uh, high class problem. Well, that's, he, he, that's needs, he needs to out, walk
1: through middle America.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's about as out of touch as uh, anything I've ever heard. It, it really sat wrong with me. And uh, we wrote a whole op-ed that Fox Business picked up and published that. Uh, but we're, we're seeing a really bad decisions being made by the administration. Uh, and I think people are questioning the, the competency of, of the administration and of Democrats in Congress. You're being kind yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, I think, is what pulled the scabs off and people really started paying attention. Uh, you probably couldn't have done that any worse. Uh, cost American lives, cost uh, lives of our allies and friends that helped us there, left billions of dollars of sophisticated military equipment there. Uh, one thing that we've looked at on the... the Natural Resources Committee, because we have jurisdiction over USGS, we spent $81 million mapping out their critical minerals and elements. And uh, I guess the Taliban will use that uh, with China to figure out how to extract those now so they can make more junk to send over here to us.
1: I mean, there's no question that if there ever was an an economic plan, and I'm not sure that there was with the White House, that it is an unmitigated disaster at this point. Are you seeing any signs of the the president or his staff willing to listen to going back and revisiting some of the things that they they turned around? Like for example, the the Keystone XL pipeline. Let, let's get that going. Let's get that. That's a way to reduce the cost there. To opening back up the lease fields. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I'm thinking that there was a court decision that overturned that executive order where they were supposed to be able to go back. And start doing more of those leases for uh, exploration. You know, obviously, if there ever was an economic plan by the president, it's an unmitigated disaster. Are you seeing any type of willingness or acknowledgement that they need to go back and revisit some economic policies, like, for example, the Keystone XL pipeline or uh, having the leases come back on where we can start producing more of our minerals? Are you seeing any of that at all?
2: None whatsoever, Darren. That's sad. I think what America is realizing is that um, Joe Biden may have been elected president, but uh, Bernie Sanders won the policy war. And it's Bernie Sanders and AOC and the really radical left that are driving the policies in this country. And um, I don't know what it is about Biden that makes him think that that's what uh, Americans wanted. I think they're going to pay dearly for it in the next election. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happen- happens here uh, just outside of D.C. and Virginia in right. that election next week. Uh, but the poll numbers I'm seeing are almost unbelievable to see the shift in the way Americans feel about uh, this administration, about Democrats in Congress, uh, in the House and the Senate. Um, and, you know, when you're seeing, uh, you know, 20-plus percent swings with independent voters, uh, they might ought to back up and reconsider what they're doing and to act like this is a mandate by the American people to go out and do highly partisan legislation uh, that's bad for American jobs, it's bad for American taxpayers, that's uh, enabling our adversaries. You know, they're cutting out energy production in the U.S. and begging OPEC, not just OPEC, OPEC plus the original Thirteen OPEC members plus the the ten who uh, include Russia, Iran, Venezuela, and countries like that, begging them to supply oil for us, which you can't even they can't even claim the environmental argument when they're shutting down U.S. production, which is cleaner and safer and more efficient, and getting it from these rogue countries. Uh, yeah. it's just mind-boggling what's driving this policy.
1: Well, I, I don't I don't think at this point it's mind boggling. I think it's very obvious uh, there's there's what appears to be a dedicated uh, effort by the Democrats to basically take America and, and, and knock it down to a third world country. I don't think there's any any question. And I think the electorate's simply not going to put up with it. Uh, the question is whether we can survive to the midterms. And uh, I'm concerned about the effort to try to federalize elections, because Realistically, and you, and I'd certainly like to have you chime in on this. If HR one had passed, or if HR four somehow makes it on the books, um, that's effectively a constitutional amendment that I don't see anybody trying to send to the states for ratification.
2: It's horrible. It's, uh, it didn't get the billing HR one um, for no reason at all. That means it's their number one bill, their number one priority, which also means it's the number one worst thing they could probably do. Uh, at least if they pass this terrible spending bill, uh, we'll still have a chance through the process to go back and fix it. But if they federalize elections, which I believe is in direct violation of the Constitution. It is. Uh, but that doesn't seem to stop them, stop them on other things. Uh, what they're trying to do is lock in the political power uh, so that they can keep just forcing bad policies into place, keep socializing this country and uh, keep pushing the Bernie Sanders and the radical left agenda.
1: Well, my uh, concern part of it. Yeah. My concern if something like that were to pass and, and not be stopped at the Supreme court level, I I, I have a feeling you might have an all bets are off on keeping the Republic. You know, uh, they, they may have called January 6th an insurrection. It wasn't, but you would probably have a legitimate insurrection on your hands nationally. If they try to take that power away from the States. Uh, that's my opinion. I hope it doesn't come to that, but let's, Let's, let's visit just a second now. You, you've, you're, you're sitting on that natural resource. You're sitting on the transportation. You've got that inside track. Right There's some things, and I, and I actually did a show about this yesterday on some things that could be done. Number one, I, I understand the longshoremen's unions don't want to allow automation. And I get that. They want to keep their jobs, don't have a problem with it. Uh, why is there not more pressure for them to, be, to have people down there 24-7, more people, more support to get the folks in there? Uh, as well as pressure on, on Governor Newsom to help involve with that. And if they won't do that, has there been discussion of bringing the National Guard in where they can help unload some of these, these ships?
2: Uh, the, the National Guard and the military should have been there weeks ago. Um, I, I was getting asked those questions by uh, by folks back home in my district who were you know on the front lines of this seeing these supply chain ch- shortages. Uh, one gentleman has a, uh, a business been very successful. It's it's an industrial supply business. So anybody that's in manufacturing um, has a lot of commercial clients. They go to him to get the supplies they need, and he can't get supplies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he he said, "Can you do anything to get the National Guard uh, at the ports?" And I said, "Well, that would be Gavin Newsom or Joe Biden that would right. do that." I think what strategically, what our country needs to look at is how to get. Um, Ports that aren't the port of Los Angeles or Long Beach. We can't be tied to a government like the California state government, the city of Los Angeles and Long Beach, when the rest of the country depends on those goods. So uh, I would be for developing some new ports, uh, shifting that that cargo to other places.
1: What about, Uh, could could they take it down... Could they take it down through the Panama Canal and bring it up to the, the Gulf ports, Texas, et cetera?
2: Yeah, well, the the problem is just simply capacity. There's been a lot of cargo shifted to the East Coast, shifted to the Gulf. Uh, but those ports in Long Beach and, and Los Angeles are the, you know, they're up there side by side. I've visited them before as a right. member of the P&I committee. Uh, they're massive. But apparently on the world stage, they're pretty small and pretty outdated. They need to be uh, increased in size. So if we're looking at how to upgrade port capacity in this country and we could build a new port, uh, maybe somewhere that uh, is not California. I I can tell you this. Uh,
1: Texas would love to talk about it.
2: Yeah, of course. If you're coming from the Pacific, you've, you've got the... We've also got bottlenecks on the Panama Canal, so um, you're kind of in a tough spot on the Pacific Coast. You got California, Oregon, or
1: Washington. Right.
2: But yeah, if we could, uh, I'd much rather be depending on Texas than any or those three combined.
1: Well, I advised listeners yesterday, and we went out to to call the White House, email the White House, go to the websites, call Governor Newsom, email Governor Newsom, go to his website. And and demand uh, that they take action, that they get the national guardian, that they get their state guardian to start moving some of this stuff. Because the other problem, and also the, one of the other problems that we've got on the trucking side, California with their CARB laws, their California Air Resource Board laws, the, a truck can't enter California unless it's 2010 or newer. And knocks out a lot of trucks. Um, it was suggested if they would suspend that as well as suspend AB five because they wiped out a lot of trucking when they came in. Uh, They could get more trucks in, but but they got to have people at the ports. These truckers aren't just going to come in there and sit around continually for seven, eight, 10 hours to either get loaded or unloaded when they can go do a load somewhere else. That's what those are. Those are those are kind of a a needle and needle in a haystack problem. We got to get the people to unload it, but you got to get the truckers in and the truckers aren't going to come until they know the people are there. So, you know, this is where people need folks like you out there hopefully hammering on the folks in DC and the White House to you know to to really look at this from a reasonable span, standpoint i guess my question is are are we is this wishful thinking or is there anybody out there that's willing to go through cuz i've i've looked at something the NRCC put out there's 45 or 47 vulnerable democrats i think they're more vulnerable if there's people i'm hearing there's not enough votes for this infrastructure vote right now are there some some voices on the other side of the aisle that might be willing to help put together to fix this problem, or are we just on our own?
2: There may be a few, but they're not, they're not stepping up to the plate. they got all this internal turmoil on, uh, on Biden's infrastructure bill and Bernie's spending bill. So, you know, talk about uh, ringing the bell and making the case and offering solutions. We, we do that, but they're pretty thick school, and it's hard to get it through their heads. It makes you wonder, do they even want to do the right thing? Because, you know, you've already hit on it. You've, you've thought through the solutions. You know, get the National Guard there or get the military there. Get, uh, uh, you know, do things to make it more conducive to truck drivers. Uh, reduce some of the regulations and mandates. You know, one thing that's been floated is to um, do something with the weight limits on the highways. Since right. we've got a, a shortage of drivers right now, uh, you know California's got their own set of rules, as, as you mentioned. Uh, but the solutions are not that difficult. It's uh, you know, we got a problem. Let's analyze the problem, attack it, and actually solve the problem. And uh, you know, quit worrying about whose feelings are going to be hurt if, if uh, their specific demands aren't met when we when we solve the problem. But the country is depending on it. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, a sad situation when you see last count, I think 80 ships um, anchored off the, the coast and, and about 60 of them in port. We had a hearing a couple weeks ago because, you know, one of these ships, the anchor hooked onto an oil line, Ooh. ruptured the oil line. And they had a, a little oil slick out there in the, yeah. off the coast of California. Uh, so the Democrats, you know, they, uh, they got all uptight about that and wanted to have a hearing and blame the evil oil countries and not take any responsibility for the, uh, the backlog uh, at the port and not take any responsibility for why was there a ship even anchored uh, where one of these uh, pipelines run. Right. You know, we have maps of that stuff. We've got a Coast Guard to enforce those laws. And uh, I still haven't heard a good explanation as to why um, this foreign ship anchored on one of our uh, oil lines and ruptured it offered about the, if it wasn't for the evil oil company, we wouldn't have an oil slick.
1: Well, I'm not, I'm not going to blame the evil oil company on that. Cause I don't think they're evil and we know that we need them. So at oh, this point
2: I'm being, I'm I know. Being facetious. I'm saying what my colleagues across the aisle were saying, uh,
1: I believe me, I, I, I get it. And I, I guess my question is, are you I mean, we know there's an internal war going on with the Democrats, but at the end of the day, somehow they still come together and they still vote. I mean, lockstep. Are you seeing any chinks in the armor where there's going to be five or six that are just going to say, you know, I, I can't do this. I got to do what's right for my district and the country and, and say no to some of these crazy bills and start putting some solutions forward. Or, or are we just not there yet? You
2: know, I can't can't read the mind of a of a Democrat. And uh, I talked to some of them that um, they seem to talk a good game, but you know, past performance, when it comes down to one of these boats, they usually lock arms. Um, you know, the, the worst thing we can do as Republicans right now is uh, is get in the middle of a, a circular firing squad because instead of aiming at each other, they'll start, start aiming at us. Right. And, uh, you know, they're trying to make that happen. You had this deal with. Uh, Steve Bannon, um, you know, other things. They're trying to do anything to change the news cycle uh, to make it about something else. Uh, but at the end of the day, they can't uh, they can't solve their internal turmoil. And it's actually good for the country. The less they do, the better off going to be.
1: Oh, there's uh, no question about that. These, these, yeah.
2: these bills that are out there. Now, they've got a uh, they got some stuff that really needs to be done, like we got to do something with surface transportation. We need to do something with the Defense Authorization Act. Uh, we're operating on a continuing resolution. You know, the normal important stuff that Congress should be working on is just getting you know, shoved to the back of the room while they're fighting over uh, Bernie Sanders' spending bill.
1: You know, around the country, people,
0: people are... Questions.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Are we about out of time?
0: We have one or two more questions.
1: Okay. All right. Not a problem. That, by the way, is Congressman Westerman's associate, Claire Nance. And thank you for putting all this together, Claire. Um, Let's just shift real quick back. And then I know you got to get back to a floor vote. We talked about the potential of of bringing things through Panama. You say Panama is pretty busy right now. Is there any other solution you see in terms of getting those ships around over the ports other than just dealing with a busy canal?
2: Well, I mean, the solution is to unload the boats. And uh, it's bad that we're having to try to figure out an alternative solution um, when we should just be utilizing the, the facilities that we've got and instead of tagging additional transportation costs and time uh, onto, uh, onto getting those ships to work or getting the cargo on those ships to where it belongs. Right. Um, I I know there's already been a lot of cargo diverted to the, to the East coast, diverted to the Gulf. um, But the common sense solution is to fix the problems at the port in Los Angeles and Long Beach.
1: Okay. Well, we're, we're hoping for that. One last thing, let's get back to Secretary Buttigieg. There's some issues coming out of FMCSA of, Uh, we we had gentlemen on from the small business and transportation coalition. There's been a lot of FOIA requests for records regarding ELDs and stuff that they've been sitting on for years. Has any of that made it to your committee yet?
2: Uh, Again, they've been more focused on the, uh, when you're you're talking about the transportation and infrastructure committee. Um, Mm -hmm. Yes. There's been some talk about uh, those issues, but uh, We've not been having the meetings that we should be having. We're not having the hearing. Uh, you know, this so-called infrastructure bill, the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee had bills to do with it. It was all uh, written in the Senate. And you would think that if, if we're going to pass such a major infrastructure bill, we would have hearings on it. We would offer amendments and a markup. We would pass our own bill and go to conference with the Senate. Uh, but... And another thing I think that's lost on the American public is we're still a, a virtual Congress. We don't have hearings in the committee room with all the members present. Uh, we did have a, uh, a TNI markup this week on FEMA uh, it falls under our jurisdiction. And it was the, the biggest um, circus that you've ever seen trying to have votes uh, that went way longer than they should have gone. People talking over each other. Uh, Some of us were actually in the committee room using the audio-visual equipment there, but people were scattered all across the country. It's not a way to run a a country uh, by any means uh, to do it on Zoom or WebEx or whatever the the service they're using, Uh, but that's really how broken this Democrat-run Congress is.
1: Well, I'm sorry to hear that, but I am holding out hope that uh, we make it for uh another year and get some elections in uh i, I know claire i'm gonna ask you one last question then then i know you got to get back to the floor um the last question we talked a little bit about the the voting changes they're trying to make and i think hr4 is the current version they're trying to get through um my understanding if it hits the senate it's dead on arrival there based upon the number of votes going through are they still going to try to push hr4 through
2: Yeah, that's that's one that takes cloture, so it would require 60 votes. Um, Discouraging enough that they just passed it out of the House. Now, the radicals, they want to do away with uh, the Senate filibuster and pass it on a a simple majority vote. Uh, But I think it's dead. I don't think it's going anywhere. But it should uh, give fair warning to the American people that if if they had 60 votes in the Senate, um, they would pass that bill. They would make Washington D.C. a state. They would load the Supreme Court, um, and they would really stack the uh, the odd, uh, the deck, and stack the odds and stack the deck in the favor of socialism.
1: Absolutely. Well, I wish we had more time. I know you have to get back to a vote. Um, contact us anytime you want to go through. We're going to get this back out to the uh, to the folks as quickly as we can. Uh, we've had Congressman Bruce Westerman from the Fourth District of Arkansas. And, uh, Bruce, thank you for coming on and, uh, anytime we'd love to have you back. Okay.
2: Thanks Darren. Always good to visit with you and, have and, a good get, day. and
1: get in there and fight the good fight. All right.
2: I'm riled up. Ready to go. <laughs> yeah. All
1: right. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. You've been listening to the information edge podcast. I'm Darren Yancey. Um, we're going to pay some bills, have a little iced tea.
5: Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
6: and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America
3: Variety Channel. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America digital network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more. We'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot, Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
7: Listen for Go To Health Radio.
0: You are listening to The Information Edge with Darren Yancey. To reach the program today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Darren at DarrenYancey.com. Now, back to The Information Edge.
1: All right, folks. Welcome back to The Information Edge podcast with Darren Yancey. I apologize for some of the technical issues we had earlier in the... uh, the podcast with Congressman Bruce Westerman, unfortunately, uh, sometimes technology does not always work the way we want. Now, if I want to take some of the things that we discussed with the congressman and glean from it. It really goes back to the prior episode I came through, which was I talked about don't let the commies in California cancel our Christmas and then I went back and corrected it, you know, the commercialization of Christmas. And the reason I came out with that podcast was a lot of folks were asking questions as to, is there anything that can be done? Now, I put out some suggestions. The one thing I didn't talk about, I kind of slipped my mind in the uh, particular podcast, was rerouting things through other coasts. Obviously, that's being done. Obviously, Panama is being used. But as Congressman Westman pointed out, we got to fix the current problem, okay? We've got to get those things Off of those ships, we've got to get these detention issues fixed, and we've got to get our country back on track. So I'm going to go back and kind uh, of—I hate to use—I hate—I'm not a fan of regurgitation, but sometimes when uh, we've got a very critical topic and we've got some very critical solutions that involve you, the voter, you, the citizen, it's important to go back. So let's let's glean what we had out of it. We've got acknowledgement. We've got problems. In the California, both the L.A. and Long Beach ports, which are our largest ports in the nation, by the way. Uh, but it was a, a very interesting thing that came out of that. While they are largest U.S. ports, they're by no means apparently uh, in size consideration to some of the other ports around the world. And that is true. There are uh, other ports in Europe, uh, China, Asia that are dramatically longer. Now, a lot of that has to do with automation that they've done um, in addition to humans. So. What's our biggest crux that we have right now that we're dealing with out on those ports? Well, it's the longshoreman. Okay. Now I'm not against the longshoreman. I'm not against the longshoreman's union. If you're a longshoreman, I'm not out for your job. Matter of fact, I'd like you to work more hours right now. I'd like you to be making more money, but your union's got to make that decision. Unfortunately, if you guys can't come in there and, and start putting more people in and doing 24 hour shifts, more folks in to help get this go through, then this is one of the few times you're going to hear me say the government's going to have to come in and do the job you're not willing to do. So how do we do that? Well, you heard what I talked about in the prior program, and uh, it was echoed with Congressman Westerman. So what are our solutions? Well, there's a twofold portion of it. Number one, uh, it's California ports. That falls under the authority of their chief executive officer, which is Gavin, don't call me Alfred e. Newman Newsom. He has authority to call out his state's National Guard. And have them come in. And uh, I'm going to highly recommend that everybody that this message reaches, whether you're in California or not, that you start emailing and calling and website visiting uh, Governor Newsom's website and communicating to him in a very polite manner. We don't, we're, look, we're not here to, to call people names. We're not here to make threats. But what we are here to do is, say, hey, we know this is your job and you're not doing your job. Do your job. Okay. Call out the National Guard. At the same time, there needs to be a reciprocal effort on the White House and Joe Biden. And in that reciprocal effort, you also have to put pressure on Congress to put pressure on the White House. So while you're emailing Joe Biden, while you're going to his website and doing queries, while you're calling the White House line and leaving those messages, you need to be doing the same with Congress. Now, if you don't know who all to contact, you know what? I've got a website that does that for us called the informationedge.net. You can go up to government sites. I've got all the congressional sites for the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate, and you can go in and there's a full directory of who they are. So, this is one of those that really has to be a full court press. This is not any one committee uh, responsibility because even though there's certain ones that have been allocated to this, the reality is there's not being done. Okay. I would say also contact Secretary Buttigieg, who is. The standing department of the Department of Transportation and the ports do fall under that. Um, But I don't think he can handle it, to be honest with you. I really don't. Um, I I got mixed emotions. I mean, I don't think it's going to hurt to send uh, the U.S. Department of Transportation say, hey, guys, uh, do your job and help get some of these ships unloaded. But I want to see where the efforts are where they're they're best utilized. And that's going to be on the state level with Governor Newsom, on the national level with the entire U.S. Congress with the president and a full-court press, okay? As you've already heard from Congressman Westerman, what were some of the things that have already been done? Well, we know that freight has been rerouted from the West Coast down through Panama, which was something I didn't talk about. It was on my mind, but I didn't talk about in the last episode that we had that are coming through the Gulf ports and to the Eastern ports. Now, that's the rerouting of existing ships. Obviously, new origination ships are going to start going to those ports because they know they got a problem in California. But the reality is, there's some of those ships. By the time they look at refueling, other costs, they they maybe they can't make the trip. Maybe it's just not in their manifest, or whatever reason they need to unload those. Okay. The bottom line is, as Congressman Westmoreland said, we need to fix the problem. And the thing with government, government works for you and I. Now I know some of you are snickering and giggling. Oh, this government doesn't do anything. For me. Okay. We've allowed that to happen. It's as much our responsibility is with the goofballs that have gotten elected. It's we have an oversight of those elected officials. We have a communications responsibility to those elected officials. If we're not doing those responsibilities, chaos ensues. A lot of the problems that are happening right now are happening because we've been asleep for a number of years. We're now waking up. And we're not sure which voice to use, what to do with our hands, what angry face to use. How do you protest in a manner that doesn't get you arrested? A lot of folks have those questions. Look, there was a reason that they have cracked down on folks from January 6th. They want to send out a message. If you dare raise a hand against this government, we're going to come against you. Well, guess what? We created you. We have every right to go protest. We have every right to go through the House of Representatives, the U.S. Senate, the White House. Those are the people's houses. We pay for it. We built them. We have a right to go through them. We have a right to be in them and even holler at the people we hired. That's right. We have that right. And if our government is committing crimes against the Constitution and the people, the Declaration of Independence very clearly sets out that we have a right and a duty to replace those governments with one that works. Now, are we to that stage? Hmm, that's a tough one. I think we're very close. I think we're very close. It, it makes me feel better knowing that bills like HR one and HR four, which are bills that are designed to federalize elections. I think at this point are not going to go through, but make no mistake. If they feel that they could cheat and get enough people in and pass those, they would pass it. And then what happens if those bills were to come in and take away state's powers and not go back and do the constitutional requirement of requiring the states to ratify them, you could say nullification is a process, but effectively you've declared civil war at that point. So what is the ultimate solution? It's, it's vigilance. It is determination. It is participation, constant, and relentless. And I understand you get tired. I get it. I can promise you I've been involved in policy, actively involved in politics, politics, can't get my mouth working since 2009. I ran for a congressional seat, had to get out of that race because uh, my property was actually condemned at that time for not one, but two, Uh, what they call fat boy production lines, pipelines, which made my property unsellable at that time. And uh, we were going to try to downsize and get a smaller house if I went up to D.C. Well, that became no longer a possibility. I went and switched and campaigned on a state level, had a good race, Um, got an incumbent out, not the way I wanted it to, but got him out. I didn't get elected because. I got outsmarted by some folks that cross-voted. It was, a, it, was a, it was an interesting experience, and it opened my eyes of what the political experience is. Every step of the way, your political enemy is thinking of things that you don't think about. They're thinking of ways to win where you're not. See, this is the problem that we have with the Republicans elected in office right now. We don't have enough people willing to think like the enemy, and the enemies are liberals. Now, they call themselves Democrats. They're not Democrats. They're liberal socialists slash communists that that have hijacked the Democrat Party and using its flag and banner to distribute and disseminate their ideologies. But make no mistake about it, they're embracing and trying to propagate Socialism, I think we early. I think let's scrap that word communism. They really want to do communism. So it's up to us right now until we can correct the mistakes that we've allowed to happen. OK, we've allowed this stuff to happen. We've been in a, we were asleep at the wheel. Look, I go back. My first election was Ronald Reagan in 1984. Reagan was the last good president we had, in my opinion, until President Trump. George Bush, 41, was not a good president. Bill Clinton, actually, there were things about Clinton's presidency that actually were good. But unfortunately, what he did with North Korea and China kind of washed that away. Um, Bush 43 was a disaster. And behind him was another disaster, Obama. We, a lot of you didn't see that glimpse of light in Reagan. And a lot of us had that bolster of Reagan and it went on for so long. It took so long to reverse it that we were dumbed down, we were silenced down, we didn't realize what was happening. And then President Trump came along and he went and he took a knife and he cut through the darkness and he opened up the light. And many of you in this country for the first time got to see what a real, unshackled, free market economy could do. You saw what actual America first political policies can do. And for those of us that have been around long enough, we were were going, oh, my God, that's right. We can do this. We've been here before. And we got lulled to sleep. Well, we're no longer asleep. The giant's awake. And now you got to deal with the giant. Now, the giant can be passive or the giant can be violent. I'd rather be a big lumbering giant and just use the size and go, do you really want to take this on and get peaceful results from it? But make no mistake, all these things that are coming to it, all these port issues, all these energy issues, this is a long-term plan. Folks, they want to take away everything that we work for and make us dependent on the state. All right, we're up against a hard break right now. You're listening to the Information Edge podcast with Darren Yancey. I'm going to pay a few bills.
4: We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
5: Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
6: Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas.
0: You are listening to The Information Edge with Darren Yancey. To reach the program today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Darren at DarrenYancey.com. Now, back to The Information Edge.
1: All right, folks, welcome back to the Information Edge podcast. This uh, last segment of the show goes by pretty quick, so let me get some housekeeping out of the way. You can follow me on social media on Gab at DGNC65, as well as on Parler. I no longer do Twitter. They nuke me, and even though if we go into a legal battle, even if I win, I just don't know that I'm going to do it anymore. I, I can't keep supporting them. Um, now, in that vein, I'm a little contradictory because I still have a Facebook account for Information Edge. Uh, not something I do a lot with. I mean I post on it. I'm not very active on it because I'm not a big fan of the Zuck. Um, and I'm liable to shut that one down. But at this point, you can follow me on Gab, you can follow me on parlor. Uh, if you're on the business side, you can also follow me on LinkedIn. Now I want to wrap this up. We're kind of this is kind of a, a, a repost of last week. and that is there are certain things that has to be done to fix this situation now. and they involve you, Picking up the phone, getting online, making emails, and, and there's very specific groups that you need to contact. Okay. First one is the Long Beach and Long, excuse me, Los Angeles Longshoremen's Unions. Okay. Now, I don't want you to be ugly. I don't want you to say nasty things, but you need to be a little firm and a little stern and say, Hey, guys, we, we appreciate the fact that you want to keep your jobs. We want you to keep your jobs. We want you to make more money right now. But if you can't get out there and put more people and open this thing up 24-7 to get these ships unloaded, we're going to have to run right over you. You can do it in a firm and pleasing way, and they'll get the message. And then they can make a decision. The second thing, at the same time, you're on a parallel course. Governor Newsom, even though he's governor of California, California's port is impacting all over the United States. Therefore, you have a right outside of the state of California to call his office and let him know. He needs to mobilize his state's National Guard. They need to have people on those ports 24-7, seven days a week, getting those ships unloaded. Then you need to take that same tenacity and you need to get a hold of every congressional member that you can, as well as the White House, and get that message. Now, obviously, what what does that take? It's going to take some dedication, okay? Maybe... You can do the longshoreman. You can do governor. Maybe you can't control everybody in Congress, but you can contact your Congress people. You can contact the people that represent you in your state. You can contact your senators. You can contact your U.S. reps. Maybe you can contact your state delegation if you've got more than, than one. Maybe states do. And you can contact the White House. And when I say contact, what do I mean? Call. When the switchboards are flooded with calls, they get the message. Email them. You have ways to email all of these people. When they start getting millions of emails, it's an amazing thing. The wax falls just right out of their ears. Oh, my God, they can hear. If you go on and you start doing website queries, why aren't you doing this, this, and you lock up their websites, they hear it. They hear it. The most important thing that you have to do is you have to stay vigilant and watch everything that's coming out of this house right now. And as we speak, as this is being recorded, this is actually being recorded a little in advance um, of the Wednesday broadcast that will be on the 3rd of November. We're actually doing this on October 28th. Congressman Westerman had a special request because he had just come off the floor. I'm going to try to get this out in advance of that as well as replay it for next week because the key thing is, This bill that's coming out of the House right now, uh, they're trying to tie in the infrastructure vote to the reconciliation vote. And you, what's the difference, Darren? I haven't kept up with it. Well, the infrastructure vote, number one, is not an infrastructure bill. It's predominantly it's ninety percent a socialism bill, so it's a bad bill in the first place. The rumor is today they don't have the votes to pass this, and now they're wanting to tie this bill into the reconciliation bill. And the reconciliation bill is where they've thrown everything but the kitchen sink at it. Matter of fact, you can go back a couple of weeks on my podcast library here with Voice America, and you can hear that episode. I had a gentleman with Amer- from Americans for Prosperity, Mack Brown. Um, we talked about all of the things that they loaded that bill up with. Okay, They're trying to tie those together now saying, well, if we don't get one, we're not doing the other. Those bills are bad bills. Both of them are bad bills. Okay, So I'm going to give you a little more help on who to contact on the Democrat side. You see, that's where this thing is stalling right now. They're not going to get any Republican votes. Now, I say that you heard Congresswoman say a couple of Republicans might vote, but if they do, their careers are over. I can tell you these are horrible bills. So let's give you some help. I want you to go to my website, informationedge.net. You can go to the blog and go down to my March 2nd, 2021 HR one for the swamp. This was the online review that I did of that bill. I also did a couple of shows about it because it was just just horrible. Unfortunately, it got it while it got out of the house. It didn't get out of the Senate, but boy, it was close. And the HR four is another ugly version of it. While it may get out, of the, it's getting out of the House. Rumor is, and it's dead on arrival in the Senate. Okay, we've dodged some bullets for now. That doesn't mean they might not come back with something else. But if you scroll down inside that, okay, down in the meat of it, it says the Republican. National Congressional Committee has identified 47 House seats they believe could be flipped in 2022. There is a link there. Okay. Click that link and it will bring you up to the NRCC and it's going to talk about particular Democrats that they feel are vulnerable. They identified 47 of them. I think right now there's more than 47, but these were targeted at the very beginning of the political cycle. Now, when I say targeted, what does that mean? It means this is, these are people that are in a district that's either it was, it was conservative maybe, and maybe they just didn't have a good conservative candidate. That happens. Or maybe it's went from being a little liberal to now it's coming a little conservative. It's, it's kind of purple. I mean, these things happen, you know, you different things involve different people, but right now I can tell you this. Um, There's a lot of liberals that are becoming conservative. I heard a young woman say on a a news show, and they were talking about vagrancy. And she says, every time I have to go over and pick up a piece of, you know what, I become a little less liberal. I think right now with the cost of energy going up, the cost of groceries, what's happening in the supply chain, I think unless they're the most diehard liberal, I think a lot of the voting electorate, okay, not the actual electorate folks, the voting electorate are going... Maybe I need to reconsider some of my political views. And what does that do? That makes some of these folks sitting in the House of Representatives in the U.S. Senate vulnerable right now. We're going to focus on the House because that's where you need to spend your time. So let's talk about them. Uh, I'm not going to go over all of them because there's 47 of them. Okay, but I can tell you right now, uh, the two in Arizona, Tom O'Halloran and Ann Kirkpatrick, they're very vulnerable. Um, We go down to Florida, Stephanie Murphy, Charlie Crist. Charlie Crist used to be a Democrat, uh, used to be a Republican. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's a former governor. So, how in the world he became a Democrat? If you're in, if you're in uh, Florida 13, y'all need to be wearing Charlie out. Um, Georgia 06, Lucy McBath. That's another one that probably could, could flip the Iowa seat, Cindy Ax. I don't know about uh, Illinois, Kansas. Not sure about that one. Um, we get into. Ohio, Tim Ryan. I think there's a possibility there. I think Oregon; those folks are safe. PA eight. Uh, that is Matt Cartwright. Matt Cartwright was the author of the bill that's designed to raise trucking insurance, so he can enrich his law firm. Uh, PA seventeen, Connor Lamb. He's definitely in a very. He's in a. He's in a red-leaning district. Texas seven, Lizzie Fletcher. No question that Lizzie is uh, someone that you could call and wear on. Texas fifteen, Vicente Gonzalez. And I got to tell you something, Vicente. He's actually he's he's actually a pretty good guy. Okay, uh, he's what I would call one of the last of the blue dog Democrats. Um, this is someone that he's got some liberal leanings on social policies, but he's a fiscally conservative person. Um, you're going to get some mixed stuff on from immigration, but not a bad individual by any stretch of the means. I think Vincente is someone that's a vulnerable to vote against the Democrat policies right behind him. Texas 28, Henry Cuellar, they're kind of molds. The same one what's happening in South Texas right now. They expected to have all of the influx of, of the second generation Hispanics that have grown up from some people that were, that were legal. Some that weren't, they were expecting, they're going to be lock and step Democrat voters. Well, you know what? The funny thing happens. They're not. They're conservative. They believe in conservative principles, and they're starting to vote that way. And it is scaring the Democrats to death. So those two gentlemen, Vincente Gonzalez, Henry Cuellar. Oh, yeah, I I think they're possible to flip Uh, past that. We get down to some others. It's not go. You know, I think Virginia right now they got two Elaine Luria, Abigail Spanberger. They're they're vulnerable right now. Virginians, I think, are pretty pretty nasty. We'll know next week if they elect a Republican for governor or not, if that t- state is starting to flip. So I'm giving you these names. You obviously can go to the site, pick this link, go through, pick them. Those are some of the ones I would kind of focus on. Give them calls. And again, be respectful. Don't be ugly. Okay. You, you're going to get more flies with honey than you are salt. All right, folks, we're out of time today. I hope this has been a great message. We always try to bring something that is informative, uh, educational, a little bit, uh, on the entertaining side, but always decide to get the muscle between your ears thinking. You've been listening to the Information Edge podcast. I'm Darren Yancey, and I'll be back next week with another message. God bless you and have a great day.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Information Edge. Please join your host, Darren Yancey, again next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time, 3 p.m. Central and 4 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll have more to share then.